Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Fish Bites, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast. I'm Jordan McPherson. He's Andre Fernandez. How are you doing today, Andre? I am bright and early, getting up and getting ready for this final push. We're, we're coming down the home stretch. We're like, we're like the horses in the Kentucky Derby. This is the most exciting part, coming down the home stretch. Uh, you're talking horses now, and we all have Clark on the show. That's a, that's a shame here. <laughs> Uh, let's hope he get, let's hope he gives us a listen this week. We'll give, you know we gave him a shout out last week, and now we're talking about one of his favorite sports. Yep, definitely. And like you said, we're in the home stretch. The Marlins wrapped up their 15 game, 11 day, four doubleheader contained homestand. They went nine and six. They go five and two against Philly. Only go one and two against Boston. Probably would have liked to get another win out of that series. But take three of five against Washington in three days, which included two doubleheaders in three days. They go 9-6, and six, they keep themselves in the thick of the race, they probably knock themselves out of the chance to win the East, since they go into the final seven games, which includes four games against the Braves, three games behind Atlanta. So they're probably fighting to keep their second place spot and keep that five or six seed, but to find the resiliency and to find the mental, mental toughness, in addition to just the physical grind of 15 games in 11 days, to go 9-6 and six and keep themselves in this hunt, that was overall it was a pretty good homestand overall. Yeah, overall, I mean, it, it's almost like the 60-40 of what you would have wanted because, like, yes, they you don't want to keep seeing these dud games where they get blown out that seems to be cropping up every once in a while, and they've done a pretty fairly decent job of protecting their pen each time, but stuff like that is going to get harder to handle, and with, with, with what's coming this week, you know, it's a shame because... You would have liked to have seen them in a little better position, at least going into this series with Atlanta. Now, realistically, the only way this happens is probably if they get a sweep, considering how hot the Yankees have become now, Definitely. just with that 10-game stretch they were on. So, yeah, you give up totally on the division? No, but I think right now it's a chase to make the postseason, which is they're still in really good shape to do that. Um, you know, you saw glimpses of things you like to see from the lineup you know brian anderson's three home run game was was you know truly you know spectacular to witness and you know some of the some of the key elements there like lewis brinson's continuing to hit well jesus aguilar too i mean the elements are still there the pitching is still generally good you know you had the little hiccups here and there like you called up braxton gary you didn't want to you didn't like seeing that you don't like seeing six those struggle so there's a couple little concerns right now going into this uh, final stretch that you want to get ironed out, assuming you do make the postseason. And, and really just set up your rotation. If, if they are able to take care of business and get this done, get this ready to go for that two out of three because no matter who it is, that's a tight window, but they're going to have a chance because, as we know, that short series like that really opens up the possibilities. Yeah, definitely. And you mentioned the blowout losses and some of the dud games that they've had and. They have had a few of them. I mean, we can go back to the game before the homestand, the 29-9 loss, which, again, goes down as one of the worst in franchise history. But they also had the 11-0 loss in a doubleheader game against Philly. The, what was the final score of Sunday's second game? 15, yeah, it was 15 nothing. Yeah, they outscored the Washington football team. Oh, or hey. close. Or no, well, they matched them. Combined with the two games, they had 16 runs. Washington had yeah. 16 runs, and the Washington yeah. football team only had 15 points. So hey, good for the Nationals. Go. Good for the Nationals on that front. But yeah. to go back to how the Marlins, they never, they haven't let those losses linger. It seems like every time the game after or the day after, they find a way to basically completely restart and show why they're in the playoff race in the first place, even after having these blowout losses and all those things. 
29-9 loss against Atlanta to close out that road trip. They come back, get the 7-6 walk-off win to begin the homestand. They get yeah. shut out by Philly, 11 to nothing. the first game of a homestand, or of a doubleheader. They come back and win the second game, 5-3. to three. They had uh, that 5-0 loss to start the first doubleheader against Washington on Friday, and then Brian Anderson comes out, hits three home runs. They get big offensive support all around, win 14-3. So you're seeing, you see why this team is in the playoff race. You see why this team has a chance to do something, but you also see the complete opposite extreme of it. It's just a matter of now finding ways to have that offensive-minded, strong pitching, the stuff from the bounce-back games. You need to see that before you have the dud game that precedes it, and that's really going to be a key for them going into this week. Well, I think it just comes down to depth, and that's where you know we know they have the rotation depth for the most part, but you want to see it from your lineup. You want to see it from your bullpen. You don't want to have these games happen because especially I think this week if they can continue to do that they'll be fine because you really this week you just kind of need to get through it and maybe get three or four wins and I think they're fine they get in but then when you get in the postseason as soon as you have one of these duds you're halfway out the door so yeah. you can't you cannot afford this at all and then that's where but I think it, it, it reminds me also you know like another you know in other sports when you talk about playoffs how it seems like NBA teams flip the switch and just in baseball, it becomes so much about the starting pitcher and so much about, you know, individual matchups and that sort of thing when you get to the postseason. So that's where I think they're going to have a, a little bit potentially of an advantage depending on, the, on who they play because you're rolling out at least, you know, quality starters each time. Even if it's not maybe lights out every single time, but at least you know you, you're probably odds are likely you're going to have an arm out there that's going to keep you in the game. And then it's just a matter of execution down the stretch where you, you – more than likely you won't have one of these meltdown games. Some of them we've seen with pitchers that are either rookies that they're calling up. We've seen like, you know, like Braxton Garrett or, you know, maybe, you know, another call up a spot start has had this problem. But we know that once this start, if they get in and once this starts, they're going with their horses. And then at that point, you really hope for their sake they don't have like a meltdown from one of those guys, but it shouldn't happen. And, and, and I think that's what, how they'll be able to avoid it. But that also provides one of the conundrums when you look at the fact that Sixto Sanchez, who is one of those rookies, very well might is going to potentially be one of those horses that Magley is going to have to roll out there. Yeah. So well, I mean, yeah. so I mean, we that's saw, we, yeah, we saw the first five starts and how great he was, the one point six nine ERA, and then Washington just beat up on him to open up the series on Friday in that first doubleheader, but. It brought up an interesting point that Maddenly mentioned that it gets to the point where Sixto just it could be to the point where he just throws too much, too many strikes and too much in the zone. He needs to find a way to to play with the corners a little bit, maybe even throw an intentional, an intentional, unintentional ball just to get the hitters off balance and not just expecting something to be in the zone where they can just start hacking the first and second swing, which Washington was able to do and really just knock knock him around last start. Well, look, this, this is a thing that I don't think it's going to be a long-term problem for him but because I think he can make the adjustment. But this is where I think the lack of offseason might have hurt a little bit because maybe – because I, from seeing six, though, in the past, like the double-A level and even, you know, he – this is a strategy I've seen even minor league, team, minor league teams take with him. And I've seen games where they would jump on him early. And even though it's just a bunch of singles, but still, it would allow the teams to do damage like we saw the Nationals do. So, yeah, it's probably a matter of him fine-tuning early on in the count and 
not being overly, you know, aggressive and less deceptive, you know, just relying on on his on, on that power arm. And this is something that I think he can do. Now the question is going to be, can he make these adjustments quickly enough to give them an effective start coming up on Wednesday, to give them an effective start coming up now in the playoffs if they get in? That's where that's going to be the key. But I think in the in the long run, he's going to be fine. I think he'll figure it out. They'll they'll figure it out together. But the but the trick is to get it done quickly enough for this to make an impact now because the the start he's had to his career, you had to expect teams were going to adjust eventually. So this is a good learning lesson for him. But in the grand scope of a pennant race or a playoff race, so, you know, this is where they, it's going to benefit them greatly. If on the fly, he can at least maybe tweak this a little bit in his favor and, and keep teams off balance early. Yeah. And also it's important to point out that the nationals were the first team to see him twice. See, Right. He faced them in his MLB debut, so they actually had yeah. a chance to see him live before going up against him again on Friday. Which, and now here comes Atlanta. And yeah. now here comes Atlanta, who he shut out for six innings first time up there, and Brian Snicker yeah. basically said, if he's going to be, if he stays healthy, he's going to be a guy who give, gives teams fits for years to come, which right. the Marlins yeah. hope to see that, and the right. Atlanta hope probably doesn't hope to see that, especially on Wednesday, but if he can figure it out quickly and use these four days between learning from himself and learning a little bit with Mel Stoudemire, yeah. it could be and, and, a pivotal game for him and, him and the Marlins going to this, fi- this final week. And who knows if things break a certain way, what if they end up facing Atlanta in the first round? Yeah. And then again, there's another matchup, another time to see him. So that's the thing. He's going to have to keep continuing to adjust as teams do to him. Yeah. And now to switch to the offensive side for a quick second, there's a guy who well, – I want to talk about Brian Anderson for a little bit. I mean – we, we know who he is. We saw the breakout year he had last year, the 20 home runs, the 60-some-odd RBIs, despite missing the final month with the broken hand. He seemed to struggle a little bit at the plate. Maybe it was him putting a little bit too much pressure on himself, which we all know he can do at times. And and when with the fact that so many of the guy, the main guys were out with COVID, he was trying to be the guy instead of being a guy, which was supposed to be the plan this year. And now we finally see the roster's coming back. He's getting a little bit more confident. He's getting a little more relaxed. And the results are finally coming for him at the plate. And he's finally producing even more more so just off the raw numbers than the team was probably hoping for. I mean, he's hitting close to 320 in September over these 20-some games they've played so far. He has four of his nine home runs, granted three of them coming in one big game against the Nationals. But he's hitting for average. He's getting the ball in play. And... This having Anderson being a steady presence in the five and six spot in this lineup to complement Jesus Aguilar up top, Corey Dickerson up top, Starling Marte up top, it's really helping lengthen this lineup out in a way that the team is needed more or less all season. Yeah, and I think that's what the Marlins need from him because, like Mattingly once told me, is he like the guy in terms of is he like a guy you're going to look at as like maybe the elite, elite type of player? Maybe not. But he can be the guy on a team like this that, like you said, he's kind of like the engine that kind of gets everybody else going. And now he's starting to finally fill into that this season. He's done that in the past at times, but now this year you're finally seeing that from him. And that's huge because, like you said, it, it has an effect on the entire lineup. And in the grand scheme of things, that's what makes the case for if the Martins are going to keep any kind of peace out of this core right now. I think he's the one that you have to look at and say, yeah, we want to keep this guy. Not only that, but looking at the farm system, you know, they're deep in some areas, but third base is far from that. So for the time being, 
you want to have a quality guy like that at third base, a guy who defensively is still, I would even say maybe even top three, four, maybe as far as, far as third base, or not just top five, but like if the bat continues to come along like that, maybe he's not a, always a 300 hitter, but a good one there and he'll, and the power is going to come eventually more often. I mean, I'm, I'm excited to see what he can do carrying over from this season into potentially a full 162 next year. If he can continue to, to add to that, become that 20, 25, maybe even, you know, if, if he has a great year, maybe close to 30 home run type power that they were hoping that he'd probably become. Definitely. Yeah. And I mean, we've seen, we've seen the growth. We've seen the strides. It's been really, it's been pleasant to see, especially in the twist and turns of everything that's gone with this season. It's been great to see some strides from him, especially down this home stretch. And speaking of the home stretch, we're down to the final week, which means a lot of the major league, the yearly awards, the yearly ballots are going to have to start being submitted by by the time the games end. And the Marlins, at the very least, I mean, Sixto Sanchez definitely has a case for Rookie of the Year, depending on how his last start goes. But there's the one where it feels like it should be a lock. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. I can't find any way that Don Mattingly is not the National League rookie or manager of the year. I just, yeah. with everything that's gone on between obviously navigating through the COVID outbreak, navigating through 160 some odd roster moves, which is probably going to increase after today because they always just have some, they always have some sort of roster move coming on nowadays. Uh, between, between the trades, between the fact that this team is still in the playoff hunt, between navigating 18 guys making their debuts, between finding niche roles for certain guys who you have up and you weren't sure if they'd be able to handle the everyday role, and with him basically just staying even-keeled and as steady as he always is throughout all of this. And I just, I would find it almost impossible for him to not be the runaway winner in the NL. Well, the even-keeled part, I had no no (laughs) doubt in my mind he'd do that. I mean, a hurricane could be hitting and that guy could stay even-keeled. I mean, he's Mr. Cool. But, um, Anyway, but I overall, though, yeah, I mean, I'd have to agree with you. I mean, if he was in the American League, I think uh, Rick Renteria would have something to say about That's that fair. justifiably. But in the National League this year, he more than has a case, I think. I mean, I'd be surprised if he doesn't win it, you know, just for all the reasons you said right now. And look at the strategic moves he's still making. I know, you know, we had talked about, you know, even like, let's pick one out here, Monte Harrison. Yeah. Struggling, still developing at the plate. But you utilize that his speed, which is one of his best tools there, and look at how key that's been as a pinch runner in certain spots. I mean, 
scored the winning run uh, on Sunday in the in, in the first game and has scored key runs in the, in that role in some of the, during this homestand. So I mean, just strategically, you know, in the past, some people have had pro- had an issue with him taking pitchers out too early or not taking pitchers out too early, that sort of thing. And not always a manager is going to get, you know, second guess at times of that. But you wonder, you hope that you see some more of this, you know, going forward because with a team that's gone through not just really like not even looking so much at the adversity, let's like looking forward, the makeup of this team, you can play around so much with the pieces, with the youngsters, with the veterans going into the going into the postseason that it'll be it'll be fun to watch if he can continue to make these decisions. And then a coach of the year or a manager of the year award also has to be a little bit of a reflection of his staff too. And I think that is worth mentioning the job that, you know, all those guys have done, particularly Rousen and the hitting coaches, you know, with the lineup. And then Mel, since he got to mm-hmm. the Marlins, has been a huge influence on those on those young pitchers and again this season. Yeah, and you don't even have to take our word for it. I mean, I've at, I asked, and a couple other people on these Zoom calls the last few days have asked about Don Mattingly and his role this year. I mean, let's hear some sound bites from some of them. First off, here's Gary Cooper. He's, uh, you never see him get too mad unless it's a bad pitch call or something like that. But, you know, he's great at it. You know, he's great at keeping, you know, especially with a lot of guys coming up this year, a lot of guys making their debuts. You know, I think you need someone like that to kind of just even, even kill everything, you know, go through the ups and downs of a year. It's, baseball it's a tough sport it's you know you're gonna line out four times and you know not have a hit you can go four you know broken bad singles it's it's just part of the game you know having him there with so much experience and all of his accolades and you know having him here is you know is great for everybody to keep you know to keep trucking along especially for the young guys because there are a lot of young guys that have been up this year and you know hopefully you know we continue to you know ride this train and you know it's it's uh it's good to have him here and then Miguel Rojas, of course, has praised Mattingly from the start. I mean, he was with him in L.A. and now back with him in with the Marlins. And Miggy just once again with one of the biggest testaments to the, what Don Mattingly has done throughout this year and throughout the entire rebuild. Uh, not just with the, with the players, but with the whole personnel. Uh, uh, Donnie, James, Rawson, hitting coaches, pitching coach. Uh, uh, they're, they're being a team, you know, and, and especially Donnie. Uh, handling the situations this year, handling uh, a lot of players up and down, uh, keeping everybody fresh and keeping everybody happy. I think that's one of the one of the things that in your team you want to have that kind of leadership. And uh, uh, we knew that Donnie Donnie was the right person to uh, to lead in us because he's been through a lot with this organization, uh, with a lot of uh, with a couple tough years, uh, 18 and 19, and it's refreshing to see him like back on the on the like winning uh, kind of season because uh, he deserved it because he's a great guy, great guy in the in the clubhouse and, and managing, uh, I think, one of the best. So, in summary, Don Mattingly, manager of the year, should almost be a, cl- a closed case. We'll find out after the season ends and when the awards get announced toward the, toward at some point during the postseason. Uh, Andre, we have about, we have a week left. We have about a few more minutes left on this. Just your overall thoughts on the ride that it's been and the ride that it will hopefully continue to be after this week. Yeah, I mean, pretty remarkable. I mean, in, the, in retrospect, I mean, at the beginning of the year, you know, they come out of that first series and then you think, okay, there might be a little better. Then all everything happens off the field, you know, which swayed the emotions in twenty in like a bunch of different ways. First, you're 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 worried for them. There's even a bit of, you know, oh. What were they doing to cause this, you know? And and then later on, 
just seeing the way they responded from it was pretty remarkable because, you know, as an organization, I, we all thought when you lose 18 guys like that, how does it not cripple anything you're trying to do in the season? And not only did it not, but they got shot out of a cannon when they came out with all those replacements and they won seven in a row, put themselves in this position to, because if you look at it since then, they're now 28 and 25. So doing the math real quick here, you know, they've only played slightly over 500 ball. That opening push when they came out of the gates after, after, after getting hit by COVID, that's what, that started it all. I mean, mm-hmm. if they come out and they lose eight out of nine or worse or whatever, or, or, you know, longer than that, whatever it is, then they're buried early. And we're not talking about this right now. We're wrapping this up and talking about the, only about the prospects and hope, hope, selling hope, like we've been doing for three years. But, you know, you look, I, I think it's just a great job all the way around to be able to do that. You know, are they, you know, how far can they go if they get in the postseason? We'll see. But I think for a franchise that I think we all thought, myself included, was still maybe two years away from doing something like this, just based on on, on mapping out their progress, it's I, for them, I think it's a pleasant surprise. But again, it comes down to it's a 60-game season. Can they duplicate? Can they replicate this success maybe next year and, and avoid it just being an anomaly? You know what I mean? Like continue to progress toward their ultimate goal of really becoming a true championship contender. Yeah, I'm going to echo a few of the points you made where I also thought that maybe if things worked out as they hoped that 2021 would have been probably the first chance to look like they'd be contenders down the stretch, 2022 more than likely being their first realistic, okay, things need to happen here, they need to happen now. But with the 60-game schedule, that sort of did help into their advantage. I mean, there's no denying that with... Basically, it's the hottest team's going to win. The team that has the most depth is going to win. And the Marlins have used had to use every single waking ounce of their depth that they had available to make this happen between everything that happened with the COVID outbreak to bring in the reinforcements and bring in some of the young guns who they probably weren't going to have until 2021 to just having guys flip-flopping roles until you found something that stuck. And then playing with some of that depth and playing with some of that to get a guy like Starling Marte once you got into the hunt. And if if we think about it, there wasn't a thirty if they if it wasn't a thirty day sample size when they were at the trade deadline, they if it was a regular season, Starling Marte yeah. wouldn't be on this team right now. Yeah, if they go one and nine right after the right after all of that happens, there is no Marte. There is no the trades are going the other way, and they're and then we're talking about new prospects that they that they're bringing in, not just Griffin Conant. Yeah, which who we can officially mention now. He's no longer just the player to be right. named later. Cats so out, cats out of the bag. So well, welcome Griffin Conine. Welcome, welcome back, Mister Mar. Welcome, Mister Marlin's son. Hopefully, we'll be seeing we'll be seeing talking about you a little bit more as we get into our off season, our postseason reflection. Which, if everything works the way the Marlins hope, will be more than just a week away. But also, now that we're close to the postseason run, I'm looking forward to seeing how this team responds to knock on wood, assuming they hold their spot and make it in, how they respond to a best-of-three series, how Mattingly shapes up the order of the rotation, because with two days off between the end of the season and the start of the National League wildcard, Sixto and Sandy will both be on normal rest. So the assumption, at least on my side, would be go with your more veteran guy with Sandy in Game 1, hope for the win, and then have Sixto go into Game 2 where... There's a little bit less pressure on the guy, and then you have Pablo available for 
the if needed big game three. I mean, that's the intriguing part of such a tight window there because do you tap the rookie when you're up one nothing or when the season is on the line though in game two, or do you trust the you know not another? It's funny calling Pablo a veteran because he's still pretty young himself, but the more experienced pitcher, no doubt, you know, who has been really good outside of that one collapse that he had about a week and a half ago. He's been more than solid for this team this year. So do you trust that as your top two? But then you're in the same predicament if you go three. Then the season's on the line with six, though, all or nothing in a game seven format. So, but the one I do agree with you 100% is I think Sandy is still the top of the rotation guy for them right now. And that's the guy you, you run out there in game one. Beyond that, it'll be interesting to see the way they decide between the other two. And I think a lot of it obviously rides on Wednesday. If six still doesn't looks a little shaky again and the Braves are jumping all over him, then I don't think Donnie goes with it. But if he's solid and he's the same guy we saw the first few starts, then you then you maybe you take the you take the shot. Yeah, well, we'll hopefully be talking about that on ne- next Tuesday to preview the wild card series. We'll have to see how this week unfolds. But for now, that's going to be it for this episode of Fish Bites. I'm Jordan McPherson. He's Andre Fernandez. We'll be back again next week. Thanks so much, everyone. <laughs>